Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider. We'll get started right after this. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. I've been waiting years for someone to ask me about him, she said. This was how the conversation started, with a woman we rang up out of the blue to ask about the Labour MP. We were in Westminster, 200 miles away from where she lived, asking her to dredge up memories she had tried to forget. The investigation began last year, after a tip-off to my Politico colleague, Esther Weber. The stories were there, and it needed someone to kind of piece them together. We spoke to more and more witnesses, more and more women. Lawyers were engaged, witness statements gathered, right of reply sent out and received. Finally, on the 1st of June, the story was published. It named Labour MP Geraint Davies, the MP for Swansea West and before that Croydon, a stalwart of the backbenches for many, many years. Five women told us about his unwanted sexual attention, physical and verbal, over the last five years. He said he didn't recognise the allegations and didn't know who had made them, but said if he had inadvertently caused offence to anyone, then he was naturally sorry. The story went online first thing. The reaction was swift. At 9am, the Labour Party suspended him. And then different questions started being asked. Who had known what and when? Sky News understands that the Labour Party Whips Office was made aware of the allegations months ago but didn't take action. Is that right? Geraint Davis's behaviour is described in this report as an open secret within the Labour Party. Were you aware of these allegations? Did you know, as other MPs now say they do, that there were concerns about Geraint Davis' behaviour for some time? This isn't a one-off. In fact, in Parliament now, there are more MPs who have the party whip suspended than there are Lib Dems, though not all of those are for harassment concerns. Sometimes, when stories like this are published, people aren't surprised. As a young researcher, or a young journalist, or even a young MP, you're advised to stay away from some people. Don't get in a lift with them, avoid them if you see them in one of the many bars, you're told when you enter Parliament, fresh-faced and bright-eyed. Of course, it's not the majority of MPs who behave badly. In fact, it's really far from it. Most people in politics behave perfectly properly. But when things do go wrong, the systems can fail to protect victims. And sometimes people don't know where to turn for help. 
It's no accident that those are the kinds of environments that make fertile ground for harassment, abuse and bullying. Can you imagine in another workplace, someone having the reputation for being handsy with staffers in taxis and this just being sort of brushed under the carpet? When I kind of came up in the corridor to see them physically crying, yeah, that was a massive shock to me. Day to day and night to night, it was really hard to carry on. From Politico, I'm Aggie Chambray, and this week on Westminster Insider... I'm asking why Westminster has such a problem with bullying and harassment. I'll hear from MPs, former parliamentary researchers and SPADs about both. Clearly, they're not the same, but they can both be a product of the same toxic culture. We discuss why some of this behaviour has been allowed to go unchallenged for so long. I'll hear what counts as bullying and what it's like when it happens to you. And I'll find out how this culture can be changed once and for all. There are problems of sexual harassment and abuse of power in pretty much every workplace you can think of. This is Esther Webber, senior UK correspondent at Politico. She's been reporting on allegations of misconduct by MPs for years. But I do think there is something about... Westminster really being the seat of power for the whole country that concentrates this problem. The fact that all MPs are sort of masters of their own domain in terms of the way they run their office. And the other problem, I think, is the kind of issue of people living their whole lives on the parliamentary estate, which doesn't really happen in other types of jobs. So lots of late nights, lots of drinking, not saying that's an excuse for any type of sexual harassment, but you can see how it feeds in and can be exploited by people who are seeking to use their position to impose themselves on people who are a bit younger, who are looking for career advancement and who maybe don't want to say no to someone powerful. In 2017, allegations about Harvey Weinstein triggered a global movement. Harvey Weinstein has been ousted from his perch atop his eponymous movie company after numerous allegations of sexual harassment. The reverberations of the Me Too scandal were soon felt here in Westminster. Damien Green becomes the latest member of Theresa May's inner circle to be pushed from the cabinet. An internal inquiry found the Prime Minister's deputy had made misleading statements to investigators about pornography found on his parliamentary computers in 2008. Government Minister Mark Garnier sent a junior member of staff to buy vibrators for him. Last night, Labour suspended Kelvin Hopkins after complaints from this student who invited Hopkins to speak at university three years ago. Since then, every few months, a new allegation comes to light. Sometimes it's through Parliament's complaint scheme. More often, it's through the press. Because stories about politicians behaving badly are newsworthy. They are elected by, and ultimately accountable to, the public. But it feels like we hear these stories a lot. So, how common is sexual misconduct, really? Is it worse here than in other places? I would say it's probably more than your average workplace. This is Jess Phillips, Shadow Domestic Violence and Safeguarding Minister. 
if you look at like the comparison of the sort of power dynamics like the media for example or places with a lot of self-employed people people on short-term contracts that basically have to keep powerful people in businesses happy so politics is a bit like that i imagine parliament sits at the higher end of there being sexual harassment and sexual violence in a place but I don't want people to think it's rife, like it's not safe to be around here. Like it's not good, but it's not Sodom and Gomorrah. And why is it higher than other places? Um, systems are weird here because there's essentially 650 small businesses that are headed up potentially by, you know, the kind of person who has ultimate power, really. And it's quite hard to get rid of them, members of parliament. The hours that we work are unusual. We don't have a sort of systematic nine to five job. You're traveling with people much more regularly than you would in other jobs. You're working late into the night. So the boundaries that exist to protect a workforce in other places around just things like you log off at five o'clock and you go home just doesn't exist in this environment. But also, you know, it's a place where power and patronage and friendships are currency. It's no accident that those are the kinds of environments that make fertile ground for harassment, abuse and bullying. Sexual misconduct and bullying are distinct. What links them, though, are the circumstances that allow them to fester. The sort of sexual characteristics of sexual harassment mean it's a bit better understood. Here's Esther Weber again. Whereas sometimes people struggle with the definition of bullying, although it's kind of set out pretty clearly in various codes of conduct. I think with bullying, the additional problem is that some MPs have never had to manage someone previously, and what makes you a good MP might not be the same thing that would be likely to make you a good manager. And so those things, I think, often clash. Whereas I think most people know, really, what is crossing the line in terms of, like, an inappropriate sexual advance in the workplace. Four weeks ago on this podcast, you heard from a focus group of former Westminster staffers, Rich, Eleanor, Ryan, Will and Rhiannon. They painted a picture of what it's like to work in Parliament as a young person. None of them talked about sexual harassment or bullying happening to them, but what they did illustrate was how intoxicating Parliament can be. How the relationships can confuse, the boundaries can blur, and sometimes it's difficult to say no to strange requests. I asked the group whether they think Westminster has a bullying problem. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Yeah, I I guess so, yeah. Yes, but it's getting better. Obviously, it's not 100% of MPs that are bad bosses and obviously wouldn't want that to come across. But in terms of defining it as a problem, I mean, if 5% are, if 2% are, 3% are, that's a problem, yeah. right? And what frustrates me about this topic and talking about this topic is, you know, every three to six months, there are stories of people coming out saying that they were mistreated, whether it's harassment, whether it was bullied. You know, you can see just a pattern of behaviour within Westminster that is well documented now and recognised. I'm sure everyone around this table will have heard horror stories, will have heard stories generally about the way people have been treated by difficult bosses. I mean, can you imagine in another workplace someone having the reputation for being handsy with staffers in taxis and this just being sort of brushed under the carpet and that person would remain in their job? I mean, it's just bizarre 
But I mean, yeah, we see it all the time. And, you know, I'm sure we'll see another one in three months time until they actually get on and fix the problem and fix the issue that is actually inherent within the system that's completely broken in terms of supporting staff. And did you guys, when you were working in Parliament or perhaps since, did you hear anecdotal stories from friends about being bullied kind of further on than bad working practices? I remember during, I mean, I did three general elections at the HQ, so I remember in one of them, there was a particular staff who'd been there for a long time. And I remember she wasn't a, a kind of overly emotional person normally. So when I kind of came up in the corridor to see them like physically crying, you know, that was a massive shock to me. And then kind of having that discussion around what's happened, why has that happened? And it was that kind of bullying, but it was, it was that thing of, the general election is a high-pressured working environment, but that doesn't excuse that kind of behaviour. So and then what you, was the behaviour? Shouting, asking people to stay beyond their hours, other more pernicious things that I won't go into. I know someone who was very repeatedly belittled and they were on kind of the bare minimum that you could possibly be paid in parliament and they said you know I like this job but I do need to earn a bit more money and they're like no you don't deserve that much money don't be silly you can you can live on that kind of thing and just like those repeated things that kind of tear away at your self-worth a little bit I think and then I know that she left that job and immediately got something like a 15 thousand pound pay rise which is quite a lot when you've come from a parliamentary salary and kind of made her realize oh I actually was worth quite a bit more and I think the the difference is not only is this your boss telling you this but your boss is an MP in this instance quite a high profile MP so there's just that another level of kind of seniority that you think if they're telling me this they must be right and I think it's really easy for it to wear you down. Someone who has experienced bullying in parliament is Jenny McCulloch. She was a clerk from 2002 to 2012. In 2007, former Labour MP Keith Vaz became chair of the Home Affairs Select Committee, the committee that McCulloch worked on. It started off well, but quickly the relationship between the two deteriorated. I would be shouted at and belittled, told that I didn't know how to do my job, that I didn't know what it was to be a clerk, and that I was just generally incapable. He did uh, use personal things against me and sort of personal things that set me apart as as different. Sometimes he would focus on the fact that I was a younger woman. Sometimes it would be about where I was from. There were comments about Northern Ireland. He made a joke about me having been locked up in my time. He said that I didn't know how to do my job because, because I wasn't a mother. Yeah, he used those things, which I guess he must have perceived being points of weakness for me. But it was just in in the context of trying to undermine me and the job I was doing. How does that make you feel? When things were at their worst for me, I was so anxious that I became really clumsy physically. So, you know, at the table... In, in committee meetings, evidence sessions with members, I you know I dropped papers, and once I spit, I sort of knocked over a whole jug of water in a public evidence session that was being televised. Um, in the end, it really affected every aspect of my life. I look back now and think, well, maybe it's not such a healthy thing to be so willing to be institutionalised. But I really thought it was a special place and a special job, and I I wanted to be part of it. But going through that time afterwards. And since, I did find really difficult. It finally became too difficult in 2011. 
at which point Jenny left Parliament. Ten years later, in 2021, a report from an independent expert panel found Vaz was guilty of sustained and unpleasant bullying, with a real, enduring psychological impact that ended Jenny's career. We contacted Keith Vaz about Jenny's account, but he didn't respond. He's previously called the report into what happened deeply fractured and riddled with flaws. You'll hear more from Jenny on what she says happened next, later in the episode. Now, that was well over a decade ago, but it's by no means the last we'd heard of bullying in Parliament. Since then, we've had accusations about many, many more. Today, a report was published from Parliament called The Conduct of Mr John Burke on the bullying allegations that the former Speaker has faced over the last few years. The Neath MP Christina Rees has been suspended from the Labour Party following reported allegations of bullying. The draft report into claims that the Home Secretary Priti Patel had bullied staff concluded this summer that she had broken rules on ministerial behaviour. And then, just last month, the Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab had to resign after two complaints against him were upheld. I resigned from Cabinet today because I said I would if there was any adverse finding from this inquiry, and I'm true to my word. On one occasion, KC Adam Tolley found Raab acted in a way which was intimidating, in the sense of unreasonably and persistently aggressive in the context of a workplace meeting. Of course, I don't want uh, to upset anyone, and I, and I made clear that, that I'm sorry for that. But that's not bullying, and we can't deliver for the British people if the bar is that low. Raab's critics were left in no doubt. He was an appalling boss who overstepped the mark with his officials on numerous occasions and deserved to be sacked. But this verdict was far from unanimous. For others, many Tory MPs in particular, Raab was no more than an exacting boss, and concerns over workplace bullying have gone way, way too far. Here's Tory MP and former whip, Mark Jenkinson. We've seen the Raab stuff, the allegations around Steve Barclay, Pretty Patel, we've had Swilla Braverman. I think there is a concerted effort in a very tiny proportion of the civil service to push back against uh, government policy and they're there to, to serve the government of the day impartially. And I, you know, I want my ministers to push back on civil servants on the advice that they get. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, that does require probably some forthrightness, but I don't think in anything I've read that that necessarily amounts to uh, to bullying. I certainly don't think Parliament as a whole has a problem. You know, those working at the centre of government particularly, so those in number 10, those in WIPs offices, I think there has to be that recognition that things do move quickly, Things do get heated, and that may involve people acting outside their normal behaviours, but, you know, it is, I'm afraid, part of life. It, it, you know, I think we've got to recognise the context of the situation. Do you have a message for kind of young people if they're coming into politics? Certainly it's no place for snowflakes. Um, <laughs> it's, it is, you know, it is, politics is, you hear it described as, as a dirty business. But... Whatever Jenkinson thinks of the allegations against Raab, there have, of course, been more serious allegations against different MPs. So why does it happen? Is there something about MPs that makes them more predisposed to bad behaviour? I certainly don't think there's something about MPs that make them predisposed to bad behaviour. This is a minority, as we would find in other walks of life as well. 
and there are people who are probably unsuited to being able to work with that power imbalance, particularly if people haven't come from, I don't know, managerial positions perhaps in the past. There will no doubt be people who are attracted to becoming an MP for nefarious reasons. Those people will be few and far between. What does Jess Phillips think? Why do some MPs behave badly? Is it something about them or is it their environment? Politics attracts the kind of people who desire status. That's already a bit of a character flaw in it. And then it really, really leans into that attraction. You have to remember that we are revered in this building. There are lifts that only we can go in. There is like areas where only we can enter so that we can have privacy and I'm not saying that there's necessarily anything wrong with that but you know we don't try and stop members of parliament feeling elevated (laughs) so my husband always says you'd never want to elect anybody who wanted the job like and I include myself in that I'm not without an ego and nobody who gets here is really so yeah it's bound to happen. I spoke to an HR specialist who has thought a lot about how the Commons is set up she sees a number of factors which, together, might create a toxic work culture. Part of it is MPs are not employees. They're not employed by their political parties, nor by the House of Commons itself. And so, they don't have a boss to answer to, beyond, you know, the voters themselves every four or five years. There are also issues about the competitive, adversarial nature of the place, she said, and the size of MPs' offices. They each operate like a tiny business with just three or four employees. In her experience, the smaller the organisation, the more likely it is there could be issues between employee and manager. Coming up in part two, we'll be asking what can be done to fix the toxic culture in the Houses of Parliament. And we'll be looking at why sometimes the names of suspected offenders can circulate for years around Westminster. And yet, Nothing seems to happen. Stay with us. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A message from Lloyd's Banking Group. Lloyd's Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise and guidance to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade. Everyone in Parliament has heard horror stories about certain MPs. 
Listen to the reaction when I asked my focus group of young staffers if there were MPs they knew they would never want to work for. Yes. Yeah. 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 Lucia Hodgson was Deputy Director of Comms for Number 10, but she started out as a parliamentary assistant. Do you have that kind of informal list in your head of people you know about? Yes. <laughs> that was a straightforward yeah. answer. Can you go into any more detail? Do you kind of know that that's the thing? Because that is not usual outside of Westminster, but everyone seems to have this sort of list. Absolutely. I think it's important to kind of qualify it by saying... Do I think it matters that their names aren't out there in the press? Not necessarily. Do I think it matters that if an individual does know something that is serious and requires looking into in more detail or complaining or going to the police, that's what's important? Obviously, we know that, again, because of the high-profile nature of who, who some of these people are, they end up in the press. And unfortunately, we also know that sometimes that's one of the only ways that spurred action in the past. So the key for me is a process that people feel emboldened and empowered to complain themselves. That, I think, is still not the case, unfortunately. And too often we still see people's views on what that will do to their career getting in the way of them being able to stand up and say this behaviour is unacceptable. Too often people see moving on, and rightfully, unfortunately, moving on can be the quickest resolution. But it's also the way that people that are bullying or behaving inappropriately continue to behave that way because nothing has stopped them. The list of MPs to avoid is something that came up in the wake of the allegations against Geraint Davies. Labour MPs had heard rumours for years. So lots of people were asking, why had nothing been done? Actually, what do you do? Here's Jess Phillips again. I mean, I had heard those rumours and that is all I had heard was rumours. And what I always say when I hear those things is if somebody would like to speak to me, I'm, I'm more than happy to help anybody. But how can you act on rumours? Bear in mind, there's so much stuff that gets said about us. And you might think, yeah, this person is odd or like you've got a bad feeling about them or you've heard rumours. But I don't want to go back to a bad old day system where the whips are the deciders of this. We spent years trying to get away from that system where unilateral action by a political party is the answer. That isn't the answer. What that led to in the past was people's mates being protected. Nowadays, there are a number of ways to get a complaint heard. Parties have systems and there's an independent system too. But previously, if you had a complaint, you'd just, well, go to the whips. Whips are the MPs responsible for party discipline. You would go to them if you had an issue. And it was their job to keep MPs in line. The trouble is, whips have another role too. And that's to make sure MPs vote along party lines. And to do this, of course, they're long rumoured to store complaints and gossip in the fabled form of a little black book. The danger then, a perverse incentive for the whips to keep inappropriate behaviour hidden. Here's Michael Dobbs, author of House of Cards, speaking to Alva about the whips a couple of seasons ago. In those days, I knew a good number of MPs who'd got into real difficulty for whatever reason. Their marriages had failed, their finances had failed, uh, their their livers had failed, they were drinking too much. And the, the whips used to help them out. I mean, they used to take care of them. They were, I, I used to describe them as a bit of a social service in the Palace of Westminster. I don't think that happens nowadays. I mean, they, they, they saved people, they helped people, but the whips would expect something in return, uh, loyalty. And it worked, I think, as a system 
it worked much more effectively. Here's Tory MP and former Whip Mark Jenkinson again. I spent a short period in the Whip's office and was not <laughs> availed of any such information on any colleagues. But I think that there is that difficulty for political parties, for, for leadership, for, for the Whip's offices, where there is no specific allegation, no report. I think it is a really difficult job, but it relies, I think, on people coming forward, making those allegations, evidence where, where possible, because I think the more people can see action being taken, the more it'll work to reduce those... Very, and I'm, you know, I want to stress, tiny minority of people who, who this affects. And now, the systems I mentioned. The ICGS, that's the Independent Complaints and Grievances Scheme, was set up by the House of Commons authorities in 2018, after allegations of sleaze and sexual misconduct started hitting the headlines. For the first time, staff in Parliament had somewhere independent they could complain with anonymity. Then Leader of the House Andrea Leadsom led a cross-party panel to set it up. So what we've been trying to do over the last eight months is to create an entirely independent system that will change the culture of Parliament, professionalise it, help us to become the role model that we want to be instead of the, you know, awful allegations that we saw last November. You look back on that time and feel, you know, generally it's quite kind of characterised by Brexit chaos. Lucia Hodgson again. Before she was Deputy Director of Comms at Number 10, Lucia was Andrea Ledsom's special advisor. Actually, I look back and the thing that really dominated every day was the Me Too revelations and kind of the uncovering of some really serious cases of bullying and harassment in Parliament. How did you feel when the Me Too bullying and harassment stories started to come out? Were you surprised? Yes, in the sense that it always felt that the way Parliament worked was just the way it worked and it would never be questioned. So I think when kind of it, it, the stories broke and it was clear that Parliament's tendency to sometimes brush things aside or for things to be moved on from, this wasn't going to be one of those moments. So it was a really important moment to be able to actually like implement change. People just feel that to work in politics there's a certain element of having to just put up with the way things are and not question it. So I felt that actually it was a really important moment for people to be able to have space to tell their stories of things that had happened to them, but more importantly put something in place that meant the likeliness of that happening again diminished over time. The ICGS has given victims options. But Jenny McCulloch left Parliament before it was set up. She tried to complain while she was still working in the Houses of Parliament, and she tried to complain once when she'd left. But both those attempts failed. After I left, I was encouraged by a senior colleague who tried to help me to stay, and then when I well, he went and encouraged me to and su- supported me to to make a complaint. And I was sort of in the only way that I could at the time to try and make sure that it didn't happen to somebody else. So I did talk about it as part of that process, but that was a it was a really crushing experience for me. And I told myself then that I wouldn't ever talk about it again until Me Too started. Years later, the ICGS was set up. And she tried again. This time, her complaint proved successful. The independent expert panel found Vaz's conduct to the complainant to be hostile, sustained, harmful, and in their words, unworthy of a member of parliament. I was really grateful that I did have the chance to pursue the complaint. It took a long time to get to the conclusion 
and the independent expert panel's decision because of legal queries and um, and delays. It was good to see in black and white the finding that my complaint had been upheld, but probably more than that, the acknowledgement that there had been bullying and that that was a serious problem. In response to the report, Vaz, who had already stood down as an MP, was banned from holding a parliamentary pass. At the time, he said the process had not given him a right to question witnesses or instigate an appeal. And he said it affected his health. But despite the new system being set up, there's a lack of trust in official processes. When we published our story on Geraint Davies last week, five women spoke to us. None had complained formally. Some, at least, didn't believe their complaints would be taken seriously. Labour are now reviewing their complaints process. I asked the focus group what they would do if someone came to them and said they'd been shouted at by an MP they work for, or they'd had their work screwed up and thrown in the bin. I personally really lack faith completely in the the ICGS, which is the sort of formal process for staff to complain about MPs, but also other staff and things that have happened on the estate. But also, I guess there is this mentality on the estate where you do put up with things to kind of advance your career. I think the reaction would be very different in a different kind of workplace. I don't think that I would be too surprised. I think I have a bit of a clearer sense about, you know, how inappropriate that is in the context of my current workplace, you know, what might be done. But in Parliament, I think if I heard that, I'd just think, oh, well, that's someone that I maybe wouldn't want to work for, but I probably wouldn't have much more to say beyond that other than comforting that person. Would anyone have a different reaction, Rich? Yeah, I think obviously crumpling up someone's work or or giving harsh feedback on someone's work, that is to be expected in any workplace, right? I think you have an honest dialogue with your employer and they obviously will give feedback in a direct way. But when we talk about bullying, it's just continued demeaning of a person. I think it's important to actually get that, you know, in our mind's eye because it's not snowflake staffers come on and say, oh, I wouldn't work for such and such or I don't want to work in, in, in XYZ. It's like a consistent sort of process of demeaning of people. But I think crumpling up someone's work can be very demeaning. And if that's done routinely, then I think that does become bullying. What would Jess Phillips's advice be? If someone came to you and said, I'm being bullied, what would you tell them to do? I mean, I would lay out to them the opportunities for the independent system and advocate them going through that process. However, if I thought that there was something quicker and more immediate that could help them, I would try and do that. So I would ask if they wanted me to have a conversation with the party whips of the particular political party. But ultimately, the best advice you could give somebody in that circumstance, if it was genuinely intolerable and wasn't something that could maybe be managed out, to try and go on leave and find a different job. And that, that that doesn't fill me with it. It's like every single time I've had to say to a rape victim, it'd probably be better for you not to go f- come forward because it will be worse for you. It, it's something I've got used to is that systems fail and sometimes you have to sit in front of a completely legitimate and vulnerable person and tell them something that you don't like. That's why sometimes I'm angry at the world and working here, as you can see. That's why sometimes I feel enraged. Um, but um, the ultimate reality is you're going to lose your job. That's not good, is it? That's, I can't say anything else because that's the truth. There are attempts to improve the culture. For example, a group of MPs are now meeting regularly to look at the way staffers are employed. Their final report is expected later this year. The speakers' conference was kind of rapidly assembled. Here's Esther Weber again. And one of the main things floated was the idea of having some sort of external HR 
system so uh, MPs would not have this kind of total control over their offices. From what I understand, that's gone down pretty badly among MPs of all parties, and I'm not sure anything like that will get off the ground this time. But I would be interested to see whether they want to hear more about safeguarding, particularly with the exclusion proposals that are about to go through Parliament at the moment, whether that could be toughened up in the future at all. One proposal that will be voted on at a later date is excluding parliamentarians who are accused of serious misconduct. At the moment, Parliament is in the process of approving a plan, so uh, MPs who are accused of serious misconduct, so criminal offences, could receive a risk assessment and if they are deemed to be a risk to other people in the workplace, that they could be banned on a compulsory basis from the parliamentary estate while their case is resolved. Because at the moment, all that happens is an MP in that situation volunteers to stay away, but that is not binding. I asked every guest how to fix the problems in Parliament. The answers were pretty wide-ranging. People suggested independent HR, third-party reporting to the complaint systems, shutting the bars on the estates, taking away MPs' choice and who they hire and fire, and much, much more training for MPs. Some of these could be brought in, and they could help to change the culture. Why does Parliament have such a problem in the first place? I can tell you again about the hours, the stress, the ego, the lack of training, the bars and the age gaps. And that is all part of it. But saying it now, it all sounds like excuses. MPs should know better. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Westminster Insider. My producer this week was Dan Hardoon of Whistledown Productions. Here at Politico, my executive producer was Christina Gonzalez and my editors were Kate Day and Jack Blanchard. Don't forget you can go back and listen to old episodes too, like Alva's on what life is really like in the Whips office from season eight. Alva and I will be back next week in our first ever joint episode. See you then.